Ben Fred Fridays on Scoops with Danny Mac. We are back. It's been a busy off season, Ben. <laughs> Some things have happened around here, huh? Yeah, man. It's good to be back with you. It's good to hear your voice on the podcast again. And um, shout out to Martin Kilcoin yeah. for, for getting us through the past couple weeks. But uh, And yourself. I appreciate it oh, very man. much. Yeah, no, happy to do it, but, but glad to be back doing it with you. And we'll dive in, man. We got a lot to talk about, but I wanted to start with... Um, um, I think something that a lot of people are feeling um, toward you with a statement that you put out after all you've been through and uh, really compliment you for your honesty, your candidness in doing that. Um, I think it probably reached and, and touched a lot of people. And uh, I know this because I feel this way and I've heard from a lot of people who do. There are a lot of people pulling for you and excited that you're going to be getting back into things. So I love you, man. You know that. And that will never, way. ever change. And um, I'm excited to, to be doing this weekly with you because I've heard from a lot of folks who've been missing it. So I, I have too. Give um, the people what they want. Well, first thing I got to say is uh, I apologize. You know, I mean, that's that's number one. Um, thank goodness everybody is safe, including myself. And uh, I'm truly sorry. Uh, I never envisioned that I would be in this position. And here we are. And um, I'm tore up, obviously, over losing my position with doing the broadcast because it's something that I loved and um and you never say never I I don't know what's going to happen I don't know what the next steps are in my life and what I'm going to do I do know I'm going to dive in a lot with the podcast so if you enjoy what we put out and there is so much content from Bernie Miklas to what Martin does to what I do Brian Walton your contributions Jim Powers does an incredible job covering the high school scene um, you're going to get that. But I, I think the first message I want to anybody that's listening is that I, I am sorry. I, I truly am sorry. Um, there's been so much in my life that I've kept to myself and things boiled over on, a, on an evening that uh, I wish I could take back. I can't. And uh, life moves forward. So I'm, I'm not going to disappear. Um, I'm not going to, to sit there and hide in a in a place and not do what I enjoy doing, which is something I've done for majority of my life. I've spent over half my life in that booth. Um, and, and that's going to be hard for me. I mean, this spring has already been hard and this summer is going to be hard. And to all the fans out there uh, of all the support that I've gotten from text messages to phone calls, to Twitter, to Facebook, I say, thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. I, I also want to say thanks to, uh, Steve Spratt, Nick Ragone at Ascension. They've stuck with me. Uh, Lou Fuse, Randy Fuse is an incredible guy. The Fuse Automotive Group, Lordo's Diamonds, and Jimmy Lordo, they are sponsors that stuck with me, and I heard from them right away. They just said, "Hey, get yourself right, do what you need to do, and and we'll be there on the other side." And they they still are, and I I want to thank them specifically. Um, I got so many thoughts that I I have. I'm sure some of that will come out in in talking with you today. But again, for the third time, I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize, and um, I'm here to take it. I understand that there's going to be people that uh, will never get over what I've done and say, don't come back. I understand that. There's other people that are going to say, I, I wish you were back. I get that too. Congratulations to Chip Carey, great friend. Um, no animosity whatsoever, and I put myself in this position. So uh, that's a lot on the table, isn't it? it what else do I, do I need to hit? I, I probably <laughs> need a, to hit, but that's, I, you that's, know, that's, I'm thankful to everybody too. Yeah, and I think that that echoes as as sincere. And you and I have talked a lot 
I mean, you and I talk a lot in general all the time anyway, but yep. we've talked a lot about what is what does this podcast do now moving forward? And I think we went through all of it. We do we stop? Do we shut it down? Do we do we wait for I mean, what what's what's the perfect answer? I don't know that there is one, but I know this. You and I talk about sports all the time and I know that people enjoy listening to it. So why should we stop doing that? Well, I, um, I developed, by the way, this site for I thought there was going to be a work stoppage. <laughs> so this is pre-COVID. Yeah. And it was a whole the whole reason I wanted to do it was that so I still had a platform to do things and have a voice. Then COVID hit and that was a real kick in the nuts for everybody. But certainly on a business side, the way and the business side was way down in the totem pole of importance, believe me, of, of what happened with COVID. But we were rolling at that point. But thank goodness we had had a nest egg built up to keep people employed, which I did. And I'm very proud to say that I did that. No one missed a check. And, and we had sponsors dropping right and left because a lot of it was built on the entertainment industry of right. being at a hotel, being at a bar, being at a restaurant. And I understand they had to save their 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 money as, as best they could to pay their employees. And so what do you do? You start diving into marketing and commercials and things of that nature. Well, we made it through that. And then this personal, and I'll call it, it's a tragedy for me. Um, and, and I'm still able to, to, to keep this thing going. And, and so it gives me a voice. It allows me to keep doing something I love, which is being behind the microphone and I, I can walk out of this room that we're recording in with my head held up high. I, I'm, I'm not going to hide from it and sit there and think that, you know, something didn't happen here. It, a major thing happened in my life. I'm thankful to my family and my, my wife, too, for sticking with me. So all these things come to mind when I, you know, start talking about this. And it's important that it's, it's been addressed. And, uh, but at some point, I've got to move on with my life. And that means doing things like this talking sports it's not like i all of a sudden just shut down watching sports i love sports it's given me my life so um that's what we're going to do that's what we're going to do i think we're we've on this podcast we've always tried to been very real we don't always agree but we call it like we see it and what we decided was like let's handle this like we do the things we comment on let's Who's calling you oh just some oh, okay. I, i'll get back to them in a second um, that's real right there that's uh that's uh We'll handle it like we do with the stuff we talk about. We'll direct it head on. We'll be honest and we'll and we'll and we'll hit it. And that's what we're doing: opening it up, saying what you need to say. And we're not going to spend every single podcast going over and over in it. But I think it to start here is good. And I'll echo what I said when it when it went down. Um, when people ask me what's going to happen, how everything's going to play out, I, said, I have no clue. I can only tell you about my friend Dan. And you have been by my side from the first day we've met. You've been in my corner. You have advocated for me and supported me and and encouraged me when not saying I'm anybody now but when I was when I was literally nobody and there are a lot of people who feel that way so I'm proud to be a part of this podcast I have been since the jump and will continue to be and I know that there are a lot of people who are excited it's back well if you didn't read it in the statement that I made too I talked about having severe depression anxiety ADD all those things ADHD and um and so I, not that I want to be the poster child for all this stuff, but I am going to be upfront and honest with it to the point that uh, I've already just signed up to be the uh, chairperson for a walk that's uh, coming up, and that'll be on May 13th to help mental health issues for families and for people that do suffer from it. Um, 
as I mentioned in that statement, I've suffered from this stuff for a long, long time, and it can lead to dark places. Uh, I'd been sober for over 10 years and, or nearly 10 years, I guess it was. And all of a sudden a trigger hit and I made a mistake. And as I said, some mistakes are more costly than others. And this one was real costly. And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about in a lot of different ways, your pride, who you are, um, you question a lot of things in your own life. And so that's where I'm at. And I'm getting the proper care and, and seeing the people that I need to see to get over these things. And I should have done this a long time ago. And I had. I'd done this two other times where I tried to get through some of the issues that I've had um, prior to this. And I would hit a wall that was very uncomfortable for me in my personal life. And I would stop. And I should never have stopped. And if I would have, continued with it. I, I don't think that I'm in this position talking to you about this stuff. But if there's a silver lining that comes out of it is that here's a guy that had a pretty prominent position. This is the ultimate fall from grace. And he's going to pick himself up, dust himself off and and move forward with my life. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. I think that anyone who's been touched in their lives by issues of mental health or substance abuse issues whether it's family themselves, I can identify with this. I've learned after many attempts that I couldn't figure out how to drink right, so I needed to quit, and I've been candid about that. And anyone who's dealt with stuff knows that there are, these are not simple stories and that there's no— um, And you can find a story with every person just about. 100%, and everybody's, everybody's issues look different, and there's no cookie-cutter— way to have have a, a journey with it that 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 is positive people do it in all kinds of different ways and one thing i've said to you and time and time again is that this doesn't have to be the end of your story no and it won't be and i, I think that this is the beginning of that chapter and it's going to be a long road it's going to be a hard road so what? Rest of my you've life. done long and hard before and yeah. and folks who have been in these battles have and those who have dealt with them or watched a loved one deal with them, they know that um, all you can do is stack up the little wins and you do it long enough and you're able to look back and, and that's what you're in the process of doing. So, well, I'm not going to hide from it. Um, and this is my own podcast, so I get to promote this kind of stuff. So again, I, I talked about the walk at Creve Core, May 13th. You can sign up. It's NAMI Walks, N-A-M-I Walks with an S, dot org slash STL Lewis, um, or ST Lewis, I should say. And that's a national alliance uh, for mental illness that we're going to try to help. And one of the stigmas is about mental illness is, well, there's a number of them, but also men don't get a lot of help. They don't, you know, they think I can, you know, white knuckle it. Is that the right word? Right. Right. Is that how you say it? Right. So don't do that. Go get help. Go get, go see the people that can help you get through these things. And again, also, since it's my podcast, if you're looking for a speaker, just come and find me. Cause I'm going to speak about this. Um, if you need an MC, been doing a lot of MC. I, I love doing charity, and I'm not going to stop doing that. I did a ton, as you know, and I'm not here to toot my own horn, but I will say this. I did a ton prior to this, and I'm going to do even more. If not, it try to match what I was doing, but continue to do that because selfishly speaking, as I always tell people, I got more out of it than they did, than the charity that I was helping because it made me feel good about I was helping people, doing something of 
being an idiot behind a microphone that could maybe do something positive with it. So if you want to do that, find me. I've got an email on the website. Email me. Happy to do it. And if it works out my schedule, I'll be there. I promise you I will. So that should address that. Is that good? I think it's good. Okay. Um, did I miss anything? I don't Help think me so, out, man. If, if, if not, we'll pick it up next week. All right. All right. <laughs> um, I start this podcast with that, and I move on with a heavy heart with this podcast, too, because we found out yesterday the, the passing of one of my my partners, and, I, and you know this day is coming for all of us, but Tim, Tim McCarver passed away. And... Um, I was really sad when I got the news about this and I had just spoken to his daughter, had a great conversation with Kathy probably a week ago. And we were talking about Tim and we were talking about, and he had not been doing well health wise. So I, and that's been going on for a while. And for anybody that saw Tim and I'll share this story, saw Tim at the, uh, the Cardinals hall of fame and the induction ceremony this past summer, it was a very hot day. Tim was overheated, and I literally helped carry him off the stage. We carried him. I got behind him, carried him from his armpits, and I believe it was one of St. Louis's finest was there and had his legs, and we got him cooled off, and he, he was not in a good spot. And I, I say that just because his health was starting to deteriorate a little bit, and it's not the Tim McCarver that you remember maybe as a listener, as a player, and certainly not as a broadcaster. But this was this was happening here the, the last few months. Um, working with him was a dream come true. I didn't know what it would be like when they first said, hey, Tim McCarver is going to join the Cardinals broadcast. And I thought, oh, boy. You know, I'd, I'd heard some stories. Sure. And I had been around him a couple of times when prior to this, I saw his temper on display, which – I never really saw when I worked with him, which was great because he was in a different place in his life. But the pressure of doing the game of the week and being the guy in the World Series, it's a big job, man. You know, you screw up a line, you can't go back and fix it. You're you're on live TV, and he was on the biggest stage that you can possibly be on on multiple networks, which is incredible. There will never be a Tim McCarver in baseball. I don't care if it's John Smoltz. I don't care if it's Ben. I don't care if it's Dan. I don't care who it is. There's never going to be a guy like him in baseball. I've always said he was the John Madden of baseball. And That's a good it, analogy. He, he is. Yeah. And he taught me so much both on the mic and away. And we ended every conversation with I love you every, every time. So whether it was in person, we walk back to the hotel, and I say, you know, you want to go grab dinner or something. Ah, I'm tired. You know, I'm going to go to bed, and <laughs> I, I'll see you tomorrow. Love you, Tim. Love you. Every time we talked on the phone, love you, buddy. And and he would say it all the time. Love you. I mean, he was the one that would initiate that all the time. I love that man. I loved him on so many different levels, but he is a guy that taught me so much in this business. And the one thing that he taught me about broadcasting is don't be afraid. Take a chance. And in this day and age of social media, when you wit when you witness a game and you watch how broadcasters do it, they're afraid to have an opinion. And, and that's just the way it is now, because if your opinion is wrong, it's going to be grabbed and put on social media. He didn't give a crap. I mean, he didn't care what you thought, but he was he's like, look, they're paying me for my opinion, and I'm going to give it. And I thought the, the one of the great things that he – and I, I'm going off on a lot of different things here because I'm starting to think more and more about it. But one of the great things that he said to me, Ben, was – and that I learned from him and that every former player should should learn from him – 
is that once your playing career is over, it's over. And so you use it as a tool to teach fans. So drawing the experience of being the catcher of Gibson and and Carlton and being a part of four different decades of the game when the game was changing to an extent. So use it to draw on it, but still I this is now my new chapter in life to be this broadcaster and paid for opinions. And some of these opinions, as you as fans may not like, I don't care. This is what I'm I'm paid to do. And you as players exactly. definitely are not going to like it. Walking into a clubhouse with him was uneasy at times. And I remember a couple of times visiting players that we'd go down and he's like, I, I need to you know go down there and show my face. And he did every single time. And if you had a problem with him, you had him at your disposal. He made himself available. So even though he may have said things that rub people the wrong way, believe me, he was down there to show his face and had the balls to go down there and say, you know what, here I am. You got a problem with me? Let's talk it out. Let's come hash it out. Yeah. Huge respect for that. And you try to do the same thing as a writer. Like if you're going to write something critical, you got to be there the Especially next day in your spot. to take your lumps. And that's part of it. They're, they might not like it, but they, they will respect it. You obviously knew Tim much better than I did, but I getting to interact with him, interview him when I did listen to him, I always felt like you learned something. He was having so much more fun than the oh. rest of us. And I think any time that somebody would get, you know, cross with one of his stories or one of his Greek mythology analogies, I, I would I would catch myself saying it's almost it almost came from a place of I think people were almost jealous they weren't having as good of a time. And he just felt like he was in a in a place that was more there was more joy in his world toward the toward his later broadcasts than there were than there than there was for the rest of us. And I viewed that as like it was attractive to me. And I I loved how you two called games because I kind of and I hope I'm being polite with this analogy here crazy grandpa not crazy (laughs) not crazy but but you felt like you were you two were kind of riding in the car together and it was like almost like two buddies just talking about the game just just bouncing bouncing stuff off of each other at times and there was nothing more fun than when a game was was way out of hand and it was time to talk about the seagulls or the or whatever book he was reading and to see (laughs) the way that you know his career changed i think is really Amazing. He was always authentic, and that speaks to the same yes. thing. If he was, if he was ripping a manager's decision or going, you know, Bill Walton, Bill Walton, Tim McCarver, he was always authentic. He never felt like he was pretending, trying to be something he wasn't. He was his authentic self, and that was true whether he was broadcasting or whether he was holding court before a game. That's what jumped out to me is you never thought, oh, that's on air, McCarver. And that's behind. No, that was Dan. That was you knew it better than anybody. Oh. That was who he was. And some of the hardest times I've ever laughed around baseball would be at the baseball writers' dinner when he would be there up on stage with Gibson. And you know, you had you had Bob Gibson, who was you know Bob is was was Mister Gibson. I mean, that's why Adam Wainwright calls him still forever Mister Gibson because he could be intimidating and oh, yeah. he kind of got in on the joke a little bit more toward the end but but you know who just would go after him McCarver always and always. would get him laughing and tickled and giggling and well, man what a what a master of so many talents great player but also great orator great you know one of the most well-read people you encounter and also the ability to communicate to tell stories 
what a gifted a gifted guy, and I know a lot of people are he's, are going to be missing him. He's the last of those breeds. I, they I, don't allow it anymore. I, I truly believe he's the last of not only the great analysts that's willing to go out on a limb, but the storytellers. And the the amazing thing that he did, man, I'm thinking about a lot of different things. Thinking well, about I want to know what, when you first met him. What was that first nervousness meeting like? Yeah, nervousness for sure. Because you I, hadn't worked together. You two had not worked together before. Yeah, but he made a point. He's like, we're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to have fun off the air. And I, I thought, okay, let's do it. I, I I like to have fun. You know, we can have some fun together. We went to so many dinners together. He's the guy of all my broadcasters I've gone out to dinner with the most. Mm -hmm. And it was the limited time. I, I guess he did games for, what, six years with us, something maybe like that, seven years, five years, whatever it was. Uh, every night we'd go out, do something. And usually during the day we do something. Like, you're making me think of all these things. But I remember one time we were he wanted to go to Yankee Stadium taking the subway. And we wound up walking like five miles with bags <laughs> And he, he and I, and <laughs> I can say it now, God rest his soul, but I can tell you now, he forgot money or something to tokens to get on the subway. So here's Tim McCarver, who the Mets fans loved him too, because he, that was when he was in his wheelhouse, man. He was in his heyday doing Mets games and then the national stage and then the Yankees for all those years. He was on all those games, but he, the, the, you know, you got to put in your token to get on the subway. And so we, I don't know if we didn't have money or something. We'd have cash to get the token. And Tim is hopping over the, the turnstile <laughs> thing to get in. And I said, Tim, there's cameras everywhere. You're going to be on the front page of the post tomorrow. New York you know. Daily News. Yeah. New McCarver Daily, skips McCar paying right. subway. <laughs> I said, this sucks. I mean, we're, we're, I'm sweating all over the place, middle of the summer, wearing a suit. I thought it'd be fun. You know, that's what he'd always say. I thought this would be fun. And I'm like, no, this isn't fun. This sucks. Um, but stuff like that. But th the conversations that we had were were really not about baseball. It was more about life and talking about families and regrets and things that we had done, you know, in our families and things of that nature. But if you ever want to listen to a guy going out on a limb and I got goosebumps thinking about it, of the ultimate broadcaster. And if you want to learn, it should be taught in every class. Of And I don't care if you're a play-by-play -play guy or the analyst. Go back to the 2001 World Series and go and watch the uh, the the, uh, the Luis Gonzalez walk-off hit. I always tell play-by-play -play guys, if you ever want to learn how to do it, go watch Vince Scully call the, the Gibson home run, that whole setup is one of the most beautiful pieces of broadcasting ever. Not just the call, but the entire inning. Well, Luis Gonzalez comes up, Mariano Rivera is on the mound, and Tim goes out on a limb with everybody watching and says, they're, they're, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, Joe Torrey, who, by the way, he's very close with, is playing Derek Jeter in way too far. So he's playing him in way too far. He said, Joe, what you and I and I remember now when he did that, and I always bring it up too when I was doing games, makes me sad, uh, about a right hander with a great cutter going in on a lefty. And he said, What happens is here is that you'll many times as a left handed batter get that cutter in on your hands and you just flail one over the shortstop's head. Now he says that with the World Series on the line, and he didn't it's not a second guess, it was a first guess. And he did it. And what happens? Cutter in. Gonzalez fights it out. Little floater over 
Derek Jeter, the Diamondbacks win the World Series. Now think about that. That's guts. That takes balls to do that. He had them. The other thing I'm very proud of in my broadcast career and working with him, I felt like it was very important to welcome him into the Cardinal family. And when I say that, what I mean is there were many fans, and and when you do baseball, you're, you're talking to generations, especially in this town, of those that grew up in the 60s that loved that era, the 70s. They loved Simba. They loved Hernandez. They loved Lou Brock. And Brock was part of the 60s, too. And then the 80s, you had Ozzy, and you had Lankford, and you had some guys that really drew you into that that team uh, in that era. And then you went to the, the 90s, and it was, I should say, Lankford then. And Gilkey was a hometown kid. You know, you had some. But the 96 changed everything when Tony got here. And you had the Tony years and McGuire and all those different things. So you're trying to go to a broad base of people. But I thought what I'm proud of is that I welcomed him back into the family and made people realize, hey, he's one of us. And so, yes, he's a national broadcaster. And, yes, he was on some of the games the Cardinals lost and they're the biggest games of the year, which is World Series, postseason, that kind of stuff. But he also played such a huge part in the franchise's history as a player. And he did. Caught Bob Gibson, was on world championship teams. He was a, a teenager that made it into that clubhouse with those guys. Um, and I, I just think that that was important that as we look at the rounding of his life, that he ended it as a Cardinal. You know what I mean? And I've, I'm very proud of that, that people understood, yes, there was a broadcaster side of Tim, but there was also the player. And don't forget how great of a player that he was. And he was a tremendous player, tremendous hitter. People will talk about his defense and say, well, that was suspect. But he was a tremendous, tremendous player of that era. Yeah, well said. And kind of came, that, that full circle coming home exactly. with the Cardinals. Um, two things stand out after all of your comments, which were beautiful. It's a. There's two things we should all strive to do: be very good at what we do, no matter what it is. And he worked at it very hard. And have fun. Yep. And and I thought he blended those things so well because sometimes, you know, we it's like not to, life or death. We man. like to joke about like a guy like Paul Goldschmidt who who just seems as if he he he's he is he is just totally obsessed with his work and getting better. And sometimes you wonder, man, does the guy smile? And but he is. He has fun doing what he loves, and he also works incredibly hard. And I thought that you kind of saw one of the things that makes Carver's career so successful is he did it twice as a player, as a broadcaster. And the rest of us are fortunate if we can do it once in anything. But you can take that in whatever you do, whether you're, whether you're, you know, mowing lawns or operating on brains, you can do it well, work hard at it, but also enjoy it. Yes. And I thought that that's what made him so so mythical to me because he was really good, but he was He's also such a good guy. He was just having a blast. Like you yeah. couldn't be every time you're around him, you just wanted, you just felt like that, that guy in the room is having the most is having the best time. And more and times he, than not, he was, <laughs> <laughs> trust me, get a couple wines in him and he was having a lot of fun. Believe me. So, um, well said, and I'm, I'm sorry to, I was sorry to hear that news. And I know that you two were incredibly close Yep, and, I know that you'd actually plan on going to see him soon. So I was going to go uh, see him next week. So I, I uh, I'm very sad. Yeah, that that. Uh, but I, 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 
have to look at it though. What a wonderful life that yeah. he lived and lived it truly to the fullest. And I think if anybody, when you think back to your own life, that's what you're thinking about is I want to live it to the fullest. And man, did he max that thing out? He's a good example of, of getting your money's worth out oh of boy. A, out of a out of a chance a chance at this thing. No doubt. Um, speaking of the the current players, it's really an interesting spring training, and I, I'm going to keep an eye on it. I'm a big fan of the World Baseball Classic. I know that there are some that are not. Some believe, like, look, Bill DeWitt's paying somebody $15 million, $20 million, get ready for the season. I, there's some validity to that. You know, be good to the the ones that are ultimately paying your salary. Um, also, though, I think there's also a responsibility to grow the game. And I, I, I can tell you this, having been around players of different countries that had a chance to play in the World Baseball Classic, they looked at it as such a great honor to be part of that team, and it meant so much to them to be a part of the World Baseball Classic. And I'm not sure we have the same feeling here in the States, and maybe that'll change over time. But when you hear Goldschmidt and you hear Arenado, and I was on the buses when Goldie was trying to convince Arenado to play, and you hear about Tommy Edmond playing for Korea, and... Uh, you know, some of the other guys that are going to have a chance to play for the different countries, it's a big deal. I think it's a good thing. I, I hope that, for instance, you don't have what I think is a Mitchell Boggs situation. Mitchell Boggs, by the way, had one of the best, and you, you, you honestly need to go back and look at this. He had one of the best years in the history of this franchise as a reliever prior to, and I can't remember the year, Joe Torre, I think, was the manager for Team USA in the World Baseball Classic. So his spring training was kind of rushed, didn't get a lot of outings, and he had a, a really rough year and never really bounced back. So I think there's a fine line that you as an organization have to walk with these players because you don't want guys coming into a season out of whack and then they get buried. And it's very tough in baseball after two bad months to come out of it. It takes you forever to get the ERA down or the average up. And that's something I think you have to be so careful about when you're thinking about the World Baseball Class. You, you like talking sports back with me again? I'm, it's great, and I, I love this I'm topic. Kinda let, I'm kind of letting it rip now. I, I can yeah, just let it go, can, whatever. Now you can, now what you can actually tell me what you really think. It's un, <laughs> unedited. Um, this, this topic is one that fascinates me because you can argue it both ways, and I, I think it's – if you're John Mosellock, you're like let, – Let me ask you're you – You're like this – Go World Baseball Classic, but I kind of wish it wasn't happening. Yeah, for sure you <laughs> Under do. your breath, because, Dan, they've got like 19 players and participating, the, the, 13 on the 40-man. Well, the intensity is high. Yeah, so it's playoff-level baseball. Exactly. You're this playing is for your country. March 22nd, and you're taking on you know no. the Marlins for the 18th time. Their, their leader in quality starts and innings pitched last year is there, Miles Michaelis, the guy that they really, above all, want to have one good last season with, and Adam Wainwright, your two... MVP finalist Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. That's just Team America. Yes. You've got a guy who needs to be, you know, a, a center of your lineup in a make or break year in Tyler O'Neill. You've got the guy that you're counting on to maybe be your everyday starting center fielder, or at least a part of the starting outfield in Lars Newtbar, who's kind of ever been been labeled as this, whether it's fair or not, has been labeled as this guy who's in line for a breakout season. You got all these you got Tommy Edmond, who's your starting shortstop, who, you know, You'll have Brendan Donovan tell you is the first guy who should have won the, a gold glove last year. I mean, this is this is a significant group. The longer you play in the tournament, the more time you miss at camp. Now, I'm not going to knock guys for wanting to play for their country. Paul Goldschmidt, this is a huge honor to him. Adam Wainwright, listening to him talk about what it means, gave me goosebumps. 
they are turning this into a bigger deal for America. By them participating, these guys are making it a bigger deal to other players, and that's going to be part of their legacy for baseball. That's important. But always remember, follow the money. And <laughs> You didn't let me finish. <laughs> go ahead. But if something happens, if injuries happen every time you take the field, and if or if you get out of whack, I worry more about the pitchers than the hitters. Guys like Goldschmidt and Arnauto have said they've participating in the past have led to our best seasons, some of our best seasons, and the statistics bear that out. Both have had good years when they played in this before, but I worry specifically about pitchers, and the Cardinals have two playing for a team that is probably going to win, which means Team USA will be playing deep, and they got two of their most important starters in it. Uh, yeah, I worry about it a little bit. I'm not going to lie. So follow the money, and where's the money made? It's made from April through the World Series. Where is it made? It's made in the United States, North America primarily. Do fans care enough here about the WBC? Now, it's also about growing the game. Are we really growing the game? And ultimately, that's the question that has to be asked by Rob Manfred to to answer himself. Am I growing the game to where I'm, I'm getting interest in the game? Am I putting fannies in the seats because of the World Baseball Classic? Am I getting more people to subscribe to MLB.com because I decided to do this World Baseball Classic? I, I don't know the answer to that. I know it's important for so many countries, the Dominican Republic, uh, you look at Puerto Rico, you look at... Um, Managed by Adier Molina. Yeah, which is interesting. You know, the the Korean teams, those that, that have a chance to play against the best in the world. That's a big deal for them. They're going up against Paul Goldschmidt. They're going up against Arenado. They're going up against Wayno. All these guys that they've heard about. But does it move the needle here? Do you really care, if you're a fan listening to this, do you really care if they play the World Baseball Classic? My guess would be, if I had to put a percentage on it, well over half of, of 50% are saying, I really don't care. All I care about is that Paul Goldschmidt is locked in on day one. That's all I care about. But am I growing the game globally? Maybe. I, I just don't know. Is it worth the rub? I, I, I can't answer that question. I think that if the best players continue to play, then people will care. So I think in some ways it depends on who's participating. If you've got years where guys are like, eh, I really need to focus on the season – then it becomes the years of the Olympic basketball team where the best guys don't play. And we kind of go, okay. But when the dream team says we're going to go win best. gold, then all of a sudden you're like, yeah. yeah. Like if you listen to Goldschmidt and Arenado and, and, and Wainwright talk and Michaelis talk about why they're playing, you will care. Um, it's not cliche. I mean, there is something to be said about it. it's an international tournament, you know, it, world glory up for grabs. That can stir something in you patriotically if you hear them talk about it now yeah. if you if if they get through it and they've got three guys who are injured because they played in it people are going to feel differently especially here and the cardinals i think it's it's fair to say the cardinals are out on a limb here because they got more guys playing than any other team yeah but the best part about this is jordan walker oh that that's the that's the whole other conversation welcome to your at, bat, at bats welcome to multiple positions in the outfield hey. Go get it. Paul DeYoung, you want to prove everybody wrong? There you go. Eat it up at spring because Edmund's gone and your corner infielders are gone. Show that you can play anywhere on the infield and show that show that your swing changes have improved. I don't know if they have or not, but you're going to get the chance to go prove it. Jordan Walker, does he make your team? I think starting in, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt as 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 the door is cracked. Now, you want to see him kick it open. If he has kind of a ho-hum spring, I don't think you have to force it. 
if Tyler O'Neill is hurt, which I don't mean to be a, like sarcastic, no, it's, just, it's, it's a realistic life. It's a realistic what if for right. him. Then then it gets easier. But I, I think you put him in that spot where it's like, hey, the doors crack, kick it in. And if he does, then I think he's on your team. He's the most interesting storyline for me at spring training. I mean, there there's nothing. I, Jack Flaherty's health, fine. Been there, done it. Uh, all the guys going to the WBC, fine. But Jordan Walker is the key because if you look at how the lineup is constructed, you've got two guys that you're counting on undoubtedly in Arenado and Goldie, and they have to play to an MVP-type level. Uh, Contreras is another storyline that I'm very interested in, but he's a bat. But Jordan Walker, I need to see another bat emerge. Now it's Tyler O'Neill. Is it Dylan Carlson minus injuries? Is it Jordan Walker? I don't know. But Jordan Walker is the one I'm most intrigued with. He's big, man. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing him at winter warm-up, he's got the size. He's got the 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 poise. I mean, he's, he's got a, a maturity. Very bright kid. Got a maturity that's beyond kind of his years. And and I like that he's coming out saying, yeah, I want to make the team. Like, he's not doing this this stuff we hear so often where it's, well, it's up to the team. No, he's saying, I'm going to I want to force their hand. And, and I think that they have put themselves in a position where they have to let him do that because they didn't go out and block him with – somebody else this year is fascinating because they've really kind of doubled down on a lot of things that really haven't been working out great Tyler O'Neill one of them Carlson's kind of reaching that point and I feel like if they get reasons to say hey the future's here now then that's the team they've built where they got to throw him into the fire now ideally you're not doing it at you know fifth in the lineup I like what the Braves did with Michael Harris where he hit down in the order all last year and was the National League Rookie yeah, of the Year. They, they Could he were be that to, guy? Yeah. Yeah, but they were allowed to do that because they were so deep. And right. the Cardinals, I don't know if they're that deep. So if, if they, he emerges, throw they're throw debuting him in there. Jordan Walker and he's hitting like top middle order, that's that's not great. Dylan Carlson was batting cleanup in the playoffs. It wasn't great. How'd that go? But, it, you know, it's <laughs> you're driven out of necessity. Yeah, and I, he seems like he's... He's ready. We're going to find out at spring. I mean, if he he's got to taste it, and if he if he grabs a hold of it, then he's got to be on the team. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. What I, do you make of Juan Yepes? What what do you make of the DH situation? Because here's the deal: last year they told us, "Hey, look, it's going to be internal guys, internal guys. They're ready." And all of a sudden, you get to spring, and they go ahead, Corey Dickerson, and oh, by the way, Albert Pujols. Now those guys have had a little more experience. Gorman, his power rate was good last year. Yepes, everybody's forgotten about. Are they your duo for DH? That's something that I'm interested about because Contreras, how much does he play there? That's they the say key. they want him to catch a ton. Is that realistic? He hasn't done that in the past. That's that's interesting to me, the DH scramble. Well, I'm going to be very careful with Contreras and how much I play him behind the plate because, because of what I mentioned before where there could be some black holes in that lineup. I got to keep him as sharp, available, uh, ready to go as a as a hitter than I is more so than anything else. So, to me, that's part of it is the where he's at health wise plays into what I do with Juan Yepes. Now, from the left side, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure, and maybe that's part of Dylan Carlson could be a DH at times and gets forced to that position because other guys are Jordan Walker is playing in the outfield. I don't know. I mean, that's the stuff that they have to figure out here in the spring. Yeah, he can. Jordan Walker can DH too. I thought the Cardinals kind of gave us a little sense of what they might be, how they might be using the DH last season when you saw Gorman promoted aggressively there. The defense, you can kind of work on it on the side when you need to. I don't know. That they say these guys got to play every day. 
I don't know that Jordan Walker needs to start every day in the outfield to make this team because the DH allows you to blend that a little bit. It does. Uh, again, we're brought to you by the Ascension Charity Classic, Lou Fuse, Lordo's Diamonds. Thanks to those great sponsors for bringing you Ben Fred Fridays. Um, didn't cover a lot in this podcast. Got a- Oh, man, we got so much more on the table. We got Mizzou basketball to talk about. We got the Blues rebuild. We got a lot to get to over the next few day. weeks. It's 40 minutes in, man. That's, I know. It's a long time. All right. Well, subscribe to the podcast. Yeah. We'll dive into the other stuff in the coming weeks. I'll be down at spring training early. Yeah, when are you going? Like first week of March. So we'll have some some uh, some podcasts coming from down there. Good. And um, it'll be good, man. I'm All excited. Right, it's good to have you back, brother. Good to be back. Thanks for doing this. You bet, man. Looking forward to it. That's Ben Fredrickson. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with DannyMac.com.